Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast. We are recording this on Monday, April 10th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, we will talk about Brighton getting jobbed against Spurs. We will talk about referees and elbows and all the other Premier League match week 30 results. But first, this one is about Liverpool and Arsenal and what can happen to you at Liverpool when things turn, especially at Anfield. But first, a little house cleaning. Please like, share, record. Like, share, respond. Like, share, be a part of the show, and let's get to it. Okay, so I think most of us know the results, and I'm on holiday out in Palm Springs in a beautiful golf course, so this one's going to be a little bit shorter than normal. I do want to talk about the Arsenal game, but more from things that happen at Anfield. So it was a great game, probably a game of a season. And it's not a coincidence that it is at Anfield because Anfield has a magic to it. The fans are passionate. Liverpool is the city. If you're a Liverpoolian and ever in your, or you're an Evertonian or you're a Liverpool supporter, you're a red, the football in that town is everything. It's an identity. It is the Republic of Liverpool. It is separate culturally from England. There is a pride within that city that is hard to understand for Americans because of what happened to the city. And the football club represented that. There are a couple of things, and, and I'm getting into a preamble around why Anfield is Anfield. Um, it represents something more than just football. It represents defiance in the face of the South, defiance in the face of uh of conservatism, defiance in the face of England leaving themselves behind. When Liverpool, the city, was crumbling in the 60s and 70s, it was Liverpool Football Club that was growing under Shankly. Shankly essentially imbued his own personal belief into the club, that it was a, he was an avowed socialist and an avowed uh, workers' rights person, an avowed you know, the collective greater than the individual. And that is in the ethos of Liverpool. Again, the themes of some of these last few episodes have been identity and club and player. And in this case, Anfield imbues the energy of the city and what it means to be a Liverpudlian. And that's why when teams say, oh man, going away to Everton is going to be tough. Goodison Park is tough. Oh, going away to Anfield is tough. It's going to be tough. Or, oh, European Knights at Liverpool. It's both the ethos of the club and results and moments. So it's all of it. It's it's European Cups. Liverpool have now six European Cups, the most in England. And it's not even close. So the world knows about Anfield. And Anfield represents a certain piece of England, working man's England, Liverpool's England, the North's England. And Liverpool has its own accent. It has Scouse which is different. It's a mix of Irish and a mix of, and that comes into the city as well, the defiance of the Irish moving to Liverpool. It's right across the way. So I did want to give that preamble just to give an understanding of why Anfield is the way it is. It has all that history. It's all that stuff. It's all a cauldron mixed together. Uh, and it's defiant in its relation to its other northerly culturally center of Manchester. They have an old history of their, of the, of the canal built to cut Liverpool out 
from the Merseyside shipping. So there's a reason there's physical rivalry and economic rivalry between the two cities. And they embody the two northern pillars of football. And uh, Anfield, in that moment against Arsenal, down to after really just playing badly and looking like the shit Liverpool that they've been, Trent Alexander-Arnold having a torrid time of it, Martinelli going right past him. He's trying to play inside, trying to do the pep, trying to do the Stones thing, trying to do the Zinchenko thing, trying to make it narrow, trying to play a 3-2 with the, with the front four. It's not working. And it's really just not going well. Martinelli's having a good time. Then the cross comes in. Gabriel, within the first half hour, Arsenal are up too, and they've completely quieted the Arsenal, the Anfield crowd. And the whole thing is, is, is collapsing on, on Liverpool again. And all I could think was, wow, that's so strange. That's so unlike Liverpool. What we've seen in these last few months is Liverpool can sustain 20 minutes on the crowd, can sustain life on the crowd, get those 2 nil loads and have energy, especially the Real Madrid game comes to mind. And then they're able to, to, and then they collapse when that sort of energy leaves them. But in this case, this game was inverted. This game was inverted in that, Arsenal came out and have been doing this all season. They're one of the earliest scoring teams in the league. It's very pep, very city. I always say this about city. They have to score in the first 15 minutes. And, and, and Arsenal imbued that. Martinelli scores his goal. I don't have all my data this time because I'm out on a golf course. So I'm just doing it by memory. Jesus on some movement where the, the Liverpool defense is a little bit disjointed again. Van Dijk's going one way. Robertson's going another way and they can't cover Jesus in the box who's doing great on his hold up play. Everything about it is fantastic and they're up two. So there's there's Liverpool down to dead to rights, really in bad shape. They did have a chance. They had been playing okay. It wasn't too bad. They just, you know, the, the issues that Liverpool have been having had been had been there for all of us to see. And we have just before and the 43rd minute or the 41st minute, there's a little bit of a com- coming together between Trent Alexander-Arnold and Granit Xhaka. That becomes a little bit of a flashpoint. And I'm not saying that this is the reason that Liverpool won, but it is a moment that the Anfield crowd finds its voice again and finds its energy and says, not today, not from a local lad, not on Trent who I think in some sense is a Liverpudlian. He's one of their own. I think they defend him to the end because he's theirs. And it's one thing for Liverpudlians to to bash Trent, but we're not going to let someone else do it. So he's our guy. And so there's a little bit of a fight. Trent's, Trent's riling up the crowd. And then within those moments, of course, it's Salah. It has to be Salah. It's on the break. Salah puts it in. I think there was a shot first. I, I can't remember exactly what happened. Like I said, I'm on the golf course watching geese run by and kids run around. It's fantastic. Uh, and that moment, that goal going into halftime, that 1-1, 2-1, excuse me, felt like there would be a different game. It felt important. It felt massive. It felt like Anfield had found its voice and the energy and the pride of Liverpool was infused back into the team, which is what Liverpool at its best is. It is a representation of the passion of the city. 
And that's why Klopp is so loved. That's why Klopp made so much sense at the team. And and to just to go the other way, that's why Benitez made sense on the team as well, because they worked hard and they were togetherness. So there's two sides to it, right? There's a there's a heavy metal kind of attacking football that imbues the city, and also a defensive side of the world is against us imbuing in the city. So just to get a sense of like it's not always style, it, it it's just what it means. So from there, we then keep on going, and the second half is just completely different. Um Liverpool come out and they just take it to Arsenal. Arsenal can't seem in that moment. And this is okay. This is part of the process. Like I've seen this happen to city half a dozen times, at least where you go to Anfield and shit just gets fucking away from you. It's loud. It's on top of you. Everything is every, every moment is intensified. The players start to look 10 feet tall. The passes start to be five miles faster. The feet, the touches start to be three minutes shorter. Everything starts popping around. Trent Alexander-Arnold is on the ball. He's in the midfield, popping balls around. All of a sudden, Hendo's closing people down. Even Fabinho's having a good game. Salah seems to rise to the experience. The whole thing just lifts up like a like an orchestra, and the fans can feel it, and the team is going towards the cop end, and Arsenal in that moment are not... I wouldn't say they had folded or that they were poor. It's just, it's a lot to deal with. And they were just under it and in it. And when you're in it and under the cosh of Anfield and its players, so that combination of players, energy, cheering, the moment, all of it sort of starts to get to the Arsenal players. And they're hanging in. They start to go deeper and deeper and deeper into their box. And they really just play a rear guard action and try and hit Liverpool on a break. But at this point, that's just not happening anymore. And there's a penalty shout for Salah on 53 that he misses, which would have been another, which would have been in a moment that would have sent Anfield to crazy town. Um, And just, it didn't happen. And throughout the second half, Liverpool are just pushing and pushing and pushing and shots are being taken and good shots are being taken. And it just feels like an inevitable is coming because Anfield has lifted this team. I, I just imagine it as like, you know, if you think about an old Bugs Bunny cartoon and you've got that, that wispy smoky hand, just pushing them almost like moving players away. There's just a, another level of mysticism. I think these are these moments that football ha- can football has that is just like a, a mystical experience that happens, something otherworldly, something beyond the game that takes the players and starts moving them around. A player who's average becomes superhuman. A player who's superhuman becomes legendary. A player who's a legend becomes a god. I mean, it's just these kind of these kind of things that happen, and they sound hyperbolic and superfluous. And you look on it from the outside, and you're listening to the show, and you go, "Go, Laurent, what the fuck are you talking about?" But if you're in it, if you are an Arsenal fan, if you are a Liverpool fan, and if you are feeling that. Those are the feelings that you're feeling. As a Liverpool fan, you're feeling like there's no way we're not fucking winning this game. It's all here for us. Everything is going our way. The whole thing is lifted up. You're you're in it. You you can't breathe. If the minutes fly by, and you you all of a sudden you look up. Twenty minutes have gone by. It's these moments that football is beyond its best. And I've given myself goosebumps just talking about it. So Firmino comes on, of course. An amazing cross by Trent Alexander-Arnold, who does Zinchenko, 
who, as a City fan, this is the problem with Zinchenko. He's not a natural defender. He misses the moment. He gets gets too tight on Trent, who does him. Trent gets down the line and puts in, of course, Trent just in this moment puts amazing crosses in. When you allow Trent Alexander-Arnold to be in the offensive third, to be on the ball, everything changes for him. He becomes the best right back in the world, the best attacking crosser of the ball in the world. But the other way around, when you have to defend him, he's the worst. So it's all relative about what the moments are. And Firmino, leaning back, jumping backwards, looping kind of header, gets gets the goal in. Anfield roars. It's even more so that it's Firmino, Bobby Chompers, one of their own. We know he's leaving the club. And it's just a moment that Anfield just lifts up again. So now we're even more into the game. We're even more moments, even more energy. And the final minutes are just bonkers. Ramsdale makes incredible saves. One on Salah in his classic cut in from the left, curl into the top corner that, that he saves. And then in the literally the final kick of the game, another cross back in from, from Darwin Nunez, who'd come on. Of course, obligatory. Darwin Nunez plays. He gets in on goal probably in the 65th minute, 70th minute. Goes in on goal, misses, because that's just Darwin Nunez. That's what he does. But he still works hard, and he gets into the positions. And he then does what he does heads it across and Kunate can't get his head or his feet on it so he tries to chest it across and somehow coming across the goal is is Ramsdale who saves it and the game ends 2-2 breathless crazy stuff breathless crazy stuff so crazy in fact that at halftime during the game the linesman elbowed Trent Alexander Andrew Robertson and that was caught later. That's a whole other story. I don't know what the hell was going on there. But clearly, like, the Anfield thing gets to everyone. The linesman went crazy. He got the red mist. And he fucking punched, basically threw an elbow at Andy Robertson. So we've, we're in that state. We're in that cauldron. And what does it mean? What does it mean? What it means for Liverpool is that they can point to these moments and say, hey, we're still here. We're still capable. We're still Liverpool. For that 45 minutes, they were who we thought they were. Um, they're not this lost team, unable to find the half yard or listless, unable to beat people or what we saw versus City at the Etihad where they just vanished and got Olaid off the park. They're not that. Or second half versus Real Madrid. They still have fight. They still Liverpool. They're still... The, you know, European champions. They're still FA Cup defending FA Cup champions. They're still defending League Cup champions. Those are the only two trophies you lost last, won last year. You're not League champions. You weren't Champions League champions. Sorry, Manny. Sorry, PJ. But, you know, you were in for the quadruple last season, and that was what we saw. And Anfield still lives and still means something. For Arsenal, they have to take this, they have to spin it in their minds that we've got this. This was a good result. They've got to turn this in their mind, despite having a two-goal lead and getting a draw out of it, that they played well, that this was a good result, that the reason for having a six-point lead, an eight-point lead with a game in hand, is to have draws like this at Anfield. And it's okay that they hung on. In fact, they probably should have lost in the end, but especially with all the chances Liverpool created. That, in fact, 
they should be happy with that point, despite the fact that for 35 minutes, they completely dominated Liverpool. But that part is hard. That is a coaching thing. They've got to make sure they hold it. You could see Zinchenko after he came off, after giving, after getting done by Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's crying on the bench. So, And then the players after the game just, just collapsing. That was a high-energy, intense game. That was a high-energy, intense game. And those kind of games are not what Arsenal have played in a lot. They had that moment when they had their dip, the, the Bournemouth game that they pulled back and the Aston Villa game that they pulled back, where there was high emotion. And there was a little bit of like, hey, you guys haven't won anything. Why are you being so emotive? Why are you giving so much energy? And then they were able to win five and sort of have a sort of easy run of, of settling those things down. But, but Arsenal are an emotional team. They're young. This is their first rodeo as a group. And to give that much energy and feel the way they felt after the game, they've got to find the emotional levels. They can feel good about the way they played. Like this isn't at this point in the season, I don't think we're at the tactical level. Like breaking these games down tactically at this point is like it's kind of fruitless. I think we know what Arsenal do. They are grooved. They do know where the balls are going to be. They do know where the passes are going to be. They know what runs they're going to make. They know where things are going to be. I think that part of the game is is pretty clear for them. They do a great job of of getting their wingers involved. And if you go out to them, then they work through the middle. And that's where that's where Odegaard and Chaka will live. And then when you try and flood the middle, they'll go out wide with Martelloni and Saka. And that's the sort of magic of the team is that you can't guard them because they have so many good players doing so many good things in so many places. But this part of the season is about managing emotion, managing the highs and lows, managing how you feel. Are you afraid, Arsenal? Are you afraid? Do you have fear inside of you that you're going to blow it? Even a little bit of doubt at this point is dangerous. A little doubt for Arsenal is dangerous. So having Zinchenko, a leader, sort of breaking down on the bench is dangerous. He's an emotional player. He's been going through a lot with Ukraine. I understand that. But at this point, he's got to keep it together because he's the veteran. He and Gabriel Jesus are the two players that have come to this club from City and bring the experience of what it's like to go game after game, 14 games in a row, to go head to head with someone chasing you and, and fight and win and go and go and every result mattering and no slipping up. Every play, every pass is intense, is hard, is difficult. And at that point, Arsenal need to sort of be calm, accept how the result went, feel good about the things they did, and then keep going and lift themselves up and go on to the next game. They've shown that they can do it, but they've also shown that when they have a big game, things can get difficult for them. Things can get difficult for them. All right. That was amazing. That was 20 minutes on just Arsenal and Liverpool. <laughs> but uh, that's how important the game was. I think we'll go on to City just for the sake of like keeping the, the results in order. City played against Southampton. I want to give Southampton a lot of credit. Like I said, I really, think, I really like what Ruben Sellis is doing down there. They're probably going to go down, and I think they should keep him as a manager. That team has moments. They have something good. They're just not good enough. Alavia is good, and, and we know about James Ward-Prowse. They just don't have enough. And for 20 minutes, they gave City problems. Uh, but then City scored the first goal, and once the first goal went in, I feel like 
you know, City were on their way uh, and uh, just moved on from there. Goals coming from first goal from Erling Holland on 45. Amazing cross by De Bruyne. Then Grealish on his own, rebounds his own shot. Then Erling Holland from Grealish, another fantastic goal. This one was a bicycle kick on his own in the air. Grealish has been fantastic. Southampton pulled one back from Mara, and then uh, Kevin De Bruyne drew a penalty that Julian Alvarez put away, and City won 4-1 pretty easily. These goal differences are going to make a difference. City has a plus four on Arsenal because if they're tied, goal difference makes a difference. But City cruise. But this was another early hauling game, and City are just grooved right now, just picking up where they should be, playing that WM, playing with John Stones in the midfield, looking like they're ready for Bayern Munich, looking like they're confident, looking like they have all to play for. They'd rather be a few points a game or two closer, three or four points closer to, to Arsenal. And if Arsenal win the league, they win the league. I think that's fine. You know, they deserve it. They played well all season, whereas City had to like grow into the season, deal with half their team with with 20 players being in the World Cup, dealing with Kevin De Bruyne being disappointed, dealing with Cancelo wanting out. So all these things they had to deal with, integrating Holland, you know, rich people problems, but still having to do that and then um, pulling themselves up and getting them to where they want to be. And City are cruising the big game for City and I'm not going to go deep into this because this is a weird episode. It's just, it's Bayern Munich on Tuesday. I mean, this is like, the, our season is on the line. <laughs> our season is on the line. Let's go through some of the scores now. United defeat Everton 2-0. Ho-hum, not really a problem. Everton were terrible in this game. Really good performance by United. At home, you'd expect it. Maguire was in the back four, which was nice. McTominay and, and, and Bruno were... Pairing the back with Sabitzer in the middle. A little bit of a different look. Didn't get their goals until the second half. First from Marshall. Oh, sorry. McTominay got one and then Marshall late. But big news out of this one is Rashford goes off with a groin injury. So United probably will be okay. But, you know, Rashford has been one of the players of the season in the Premier League, let alone for United. And they're going to need him. It'll be a fight. Tottenham to Brighton won. This game was a fucking abomination of refereeing. I hate VAR more than anything, but if you're going to have it, do it right. Everything about this game was fucking bullshit. Brighton had at least three calls go against them. Two of them were just completely egregious bullshit. Matoma it involved in both. One was a ball off his shoulder on a goal he scored that was called back because of a handball. Then he got fouled for a penalty against Hoiberg, he clearly stamps on his foot. They don't call it in the moment. They don't even go to VAR to look at it at the monitor. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. There's another handball that gets chalked off that's on a goal going through by Danny Welbeck. It ricochets on a tucked-in arm by McAllister that gets chalked off. It's just an unbelievable series of events. About That's just on the field. So let's talk about those are the on-the-field things. Spurs do win 2-0, 2-1. Amazing goal by Son in the first half, and then Harry Kane on a cutback that, you know, maybe they could have broke down. Oh, also another penalty shout. Lewis Dunk gets pulled by his shirt, pulled down easily. Not a problem. Nope, no call. So this is just one of the most egregious, terribly refereed games I've ever seen. I mean, it's laughable to the point that uh, Howard Webb did call the Brighton board and apologize for missing the calls. I mean, what the fuck is going on? 
Um, this is an incredible thing because Brighton are better than Spurs. They just are. And they were going to catch them to be in a European place. And now this is a six-pointer for them. Spurs are living a charmed and magical life where they somehow just don't lose. They, they, they're, they're the worst good team I've ever seen. It's just bizarre. It's, un, it's untenable. But Harry Kane, they move on. They, they get in their place. We did have another thing. There was a fight on the sideline between De Zerbi and Stellini. There was beef beforehand. Apparently, Stellini in a previous life had criticized De Zerbi on television. So there was a little bit of a fight before the game even started. So they were chirping. And then somewhere in the second half, both benches go at each other. And Stellini and De Zerbi get red cards just a bizarre game all around. There was so much stuff going on. Just lunatic asylum stuff. So anyway, that happened <laughs> in that game. Let's just keep going because I'm just <laughs> cruising through stuff. Um, the Frank Lampard experience begins at Wolves, at Molyneux, and typically is the same as it always is. Chelsea, unable to score fucking goals they lose to wolves 1-0 on an amazing goal just a fantastic goal in the first half by Mateus Nunez half volley three quarters in from the corner he's on his own and he lashes a thunder blast into the top ends no one's saving that ever in a million years but again nothing from Chelsea Hyvert somehow still playing up top <laughs> for for Spurs and still unable to do anything. I want to give a shout out in this game for Leslie Fafana and Koulibaly. Really good in defense. Really good in defense. So there's some good things happening at Spurs. Clearly it's a super talented team, but Frank Lampard is not going to turn this team around. This team is cooked. Spurs have nothing. They don't do anything. There's nothing good about them. It's no relationships. They have no connectivity with each other. It's just a broken team with a broken soul, with a broken manager, and a broken club. Um, Newcastle defeat Brentford. I said this would be a tough game. It was a tough game. There were two penalties in this game. One, Ivan Tony got a penalty saved. They were up 1-0, but then Newcastle do fight back for the win. Incredible stuff by them. They are on a streak. They are really good. They score an old goal against Raya from Joe Linton and then Alexander Isak from Callum Wilson in the second half. And then they see it out. But a really, really good performance by both teams. You know, Brentford could hold their head high. And that's a good road win for Newcastle coming down to London and getting it done. And then my beloved, my new beloved, my beloved Bournemouth under Gary O'Neill defeat Leicester City, the managerless Leicester City. They battered Leicester. Leicester are fucking cooked, cooked, cooked. They named Dean Smith today to be manager. It may, there was a time, there were about five minutes there, there was a trial balloon sent up for Jesse Marsh, and the Leicester City fans essentially revolt and are like, if you fucking hire Jesse Marsh, we're never going to a game again. And so they hired Dean Smith, who's a bit more palatable and is ready for the fight. He, had, he did good work with. With Villa the first season with Jack Grealish, maybe James Madison can play the, game, the the Grealish role and just kind of be free to do whatever he wants. But we'll see if Dean Smith can get this team going. He was in the championship last with Norwich and was already fired once this year. 
he's an okay manager, more loved by Aston Villa fans because he's one of their own rather than for his great management. I do want to give a super big shout out. I probably have done it a few times, but if you have not watched the mighty, powerful cherries of Bournemouth, take an eye on Philip Billing. He's their best player. He's giant. He's six foot three in the midfield, very skilled. And when he goes, they go. Really good work by him. He scores their only goal. And Bournemouth under Gary O'Neill, they look like they're going to stay up. Can't believe it. You just assume that they were going to be the team that goes down, but they look to be in very, very, very good shape. Christian, pause the show. Fast forward a little bit. Aston Villa 2, Nottingham Forest nil. Nottingham Forest looking like relegation fodder. And the great and powerful Unai Emery has his boys from the Midlands just cruising goals by Traore on a giveaway by the great and powerful John Joe Shelby. And of course, in the 95th minute, and Ali Watkins keeps his goal-scoring form going on a really nice run, assisted by Ramsey, and they win 2-0. The great and powerful Aston Villa. Second most points since the turn of the year. Third most points since the turn of the year behind Arsenal and Manchester City. So Unai Emery, good evening indeed. What a hell of a man. What a hell of a coach. Just outperforming what you'd expect. They had good players. Mike and I really loved them to start the season, and there they are doing an incredible job. West Ham, the great and powerful David Moyes, shit houses and shit cans his way to a 1-0 win against Fulham. Just fantastic stuff. I told you, Fulham were done. They were outperforming their numbers. Where they were wasn't their reality, and they've now been unable to score goals without Mitrovic. They're on the beach. They're done. They're good. The Marco Silva 18-month sell-by date is showing up again. He tends to play well and then sort of slip, and then we go on to not Liverpool again, but Crystal Palace under Uncle Roy. Lighten motherfuckers up. 5-1. This game in the first half, Leeds were kicking ass. Um, What's his face? Sam Johnstone had to come in for Guaita. Had seven saves in the first half. Game was bonkers. Leeds were really doing well and probably should have been ahead in this game by a lot. Leeds just kicking ass. First 20 minutes, they get the goal from Bamford. But the first 15, 20 minutes, they are flying and kicking just serious ass but then Gahey scores a goal just before halftime and it's 1-1 at the break and in the second half four goals two by Jordan Ayew one by Eze one by Edward and they annihilate the great and powerful leads five to one and Uncle Roy Hodgson grabs the reins from Crystal Palace and takes them out of the relegation zone they look safe I feel Somewhat bad for Vieira. He, you know, he got the the shit end of the stick during the schedule, and Roy got the easy stuff, so he gets to look like a genius. But it was more the manner of the results. I think like Crystal Palace were really shit under Vieira. They didn't look like they were scoring. They didn't look like they were going to take shots. They didn't look like they had a clue. And with Hodgson, they're just flying again. Uncle Roy just has the magic. He's just the the magic that keeps this team going, the magic man of Crystal Palace, Croydon zone, they just 
battered fucking Leeds. Leeds will have to try and fight another day. This is not the kind of result that Leeds would want in the run-in for the, you know, for the relegation zone, which let, let's just go through. Got to see where we are. Okay. After match week 30. Okay. City sits six points behind Arsenal. If City win all eight of their games, nine of their games, they have a game in hand, they will be Premier League champions. It is in City's hands. If Arsenal win all their games, they will be champions because they play each other. So I doubt that either of them will run the table, but it is in City's hands at this point. They don't need any help to win this league. They have a head-to-head against Arsenal. If they defeat Arsenal, they will be level and they if they defeat arsenal and they win their game in hand they will be level on points so and arsenal do have the more difficult run-in that we can get to another day then newcastle and man united sit in third and fourth tied but the goal difference is 20 goals better newcastle are far better far superior underlying numbers than united so they would win the tiebreaker no matter what and arsenal and and the Team that won't die, Tottenham Hotspur, sit on 53 in fifth place. City, Newcastle, and Man United all have a game in hand on them. Sixth is Villa. Seventh is Brighton. Even though they got jobbed, they should be on 49. But they have two games in hand. Liverpool on 44. Brentford on 43. Fulham in 10th on 39, along with Chelsea in 11th. Then there's the gap to the relegation war. That Palace has really given himself a six-point cushion. They're on 33. Wolves, West Ham, Bournemouth, Leeds, Everton, and Nottingham Forest tied on 17 and 17 and 18th. Everton out of the bottom three on goal difference alone. The worst goal difference in the league is for Nottingham Forest, along with Southampton and Bournemouth. Bournemouth are three points out of the relegation zone right now. They've played 30. It's still going to be a bit of a war. I get the feeling that Chelsea, that Palace are relatively safe. There's six, and I do feel the same way about Wolves. My thought about nine wins being the number is still about right. I still think if you get to nine wins, you're probably going to be okay. Right now, Everton, Nottingham Forest are on six. Leicester's on seven. And Southampton around six. The only one I feel certain about is Southampton going down. Everyone else, I have no fucking clue what's going to happen. It, right now, the bottom three are Nottingham Forest, Leicester, and Southampton. You just, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than your friend who's also running from the bear. So you don't have to be the best team in the world. You just have to be better than three. They just have to be three worse than you. So that is where we are with that. Okay, we're going to quickly just give you a sense of where we are with the Champions League because it is kicking back up this week. And I want to make sure that we don't... Oh, here we go. Tuesday, Benfica versus Inter. City versus Bayern. Then on Wednesday, Real Madrid versus Chelsea at home. And Milan versus Napoli. And then the following week, Chelsea, the, all the return legs go on. So we have Tuesday and Wednesday, Benfica versus Inter. Benfica should be favored against Inter because I don't think Inter are that good. City versus Bayern Munich is the real 
heavyweight bout. And then Real Madrid, of course, favored versus Chelsea. But this is where Frank, this is why Frank Lampard took this job to just see if he can get this thing done. And then Milan versus Napoli is a rematch of a game that just happened the other day. Napoli are the favorite in their side of the group. Okay. Okay. I think I did it. So, how's everyone feel about that episode? It's a little bit trickier. <laughs> that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Fortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You all have a dream.